scripture reading is taken from the book of John, chapter 10, verses 1 to 4 and 11 to 18. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is a shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Verses 11 to 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, as many of you know uh, already, uh, this week, one of our beloved friends, uh, Opal Fuller, passed away. Uh, some of you may know her as the lady who uh, gave you those chocolate-covered marshmallow cookies, the Viva Puffs, on Sundays. Many of us know her more deeply as uh, a woman of strength, endurance, sacrifice, laughter, amazing cooking, unfailing, verging on fierce love for her grandchildren. Like a bear with her cubs, you did not want to try to get between her and her grandbabies. Now, while there is comfort in the fact that she is now fully in the loving embrace of God and that she is freed from the pains and the struggles uh, that she endured in life, um, her death does leave a hole in many of our hearts, and that's okay. That's the way it should be when someone that we love is gone. And while we need to grieve the loss, we need to uh, especially be intentional about caring for her grandchildren and her daughter. Um, and we'll let you know at the end of worship a few of the ways you can offer care uh, if you would like to. Um, as of now, we do not know any details about a memorial uh, yet, but we will keep you informed through you know, social media, email, our prayer line, uh, and all of those things. If you are in a place where you need to grieve or process with others, please don't hesitate to reach out. Now, the death of a friend, the death of a member of our church family, uh, is not only hard from this grieving process and, and the loss 
perspective. But it often brings up feelings of inadequacy for many of us. For me as a pastor, I, like to f- I feel like to be good at my job, I should have all of the right things to say, all the right things to pray. I feel like I should be able to carry people through their suffering, to offer them something that will heal the open wounds and fill the empty spaces uh, in the absence of their loved ones. And so I see myself in this way as a failure for not matching up to expectations that I've placed on myself, um, that the church has placed on pastors, no matter how wrong these expectations may be. And I think many of us carry these types of insecurities and our um, inadequacies uh, when we realize that we are not able uh, to save our loved ones uh, from the pains of grief. Like many who were raised in the church, I've been raised to see a good pastor to be like the good shepherd that Adora read for us. This idealistic idealistic image of one who is always tender, overflowing with empathy and nurturing, naturally gifted as seeing into people's hearts and knowing exactly what they need, meeting meeting people exactly where they are, always having the right words of comfort and healing. And I think many of us, pastors or not, we feel this way in different parts of our lives. Parents feel this way about how they should be parenting kids. Adults and how they should be caring for their elderly parents. Siblings with siblings, friends to friends. We feel we should be saviors to them. That they, like sheep without a shepherd, and we must embrace the lie that it is our responsibility to be there good shepherd. Now this Easter season, we've been looking at, or we are looking at, seven different times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am the dot, dot, dot. So seven times Jesus used a metaphor to to reveal different parts of who he is. And this morning we are looking at when Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And I hope We'll discover together both what Jesus may have meant by that, but also some ways that we have misunderstood this image to our detriment. You may have noticed the scripture passage that Adora read for us uh, skips a bunch of verses in the middle. This is because John chapter 10, uh, Jesus gives us two different but related revelations of who he is. I am the gate and I am the good shepherd. Now, if you weren't with us last week, or if you were like me and you can barely remember yesterday, never mind last week, uh, there are a few things we want to be reminded of that we touched on. For those who've already heard this and you feel like, you know, it's kind of boring to, to hear this, this stuff again, feel free to watch this uh, video of the world's longest competitive ping pong rally. There you go. I know, my sense of humor is kind of strange, but you're stuck with me. First, as we discussed last week, unlike some of Jesus' teachings where he'll, be, he'll tell the story and then explain the story afterwards, and there's a lot of famous parables where he says the kingdom of God is like this, and then, of course, the disciples are like, what? And so he says, okay, well, what I was saying is this and this. 
But Jesus is actually doing the opposite here. Jesus begins by setting a scene in verses 1 to 5. And then using the imagery of sheep husbandry, he uses this image as the main image. But rather than going on to explain what he had already said, he instead expands on what he said with two related but different metaphors based on sheep husbandry. Now, as a side note, I think the word husbandry is hilarious. For those of you who don't know, the word husbandry, referring to cultivation or production of plants or animals, it comes from the meaning to care for a household. But the word husbandry originates in an era where it was always the wife who took care of the household and not the husband. So it's yet another example of patriarchy at its worst. Men taking, care, taking credit for the work that the women did. But anyway, so sheep husbandry. There you go. Back to Jesus. Uh, so verses 1 to 5 sets the stage. And then verses... Um, 7 to 10, Jesus expands on the image to focus on he is as the gate. And then today, verses 11 to 18, he expands on that same image to focus on how Jesus is the good shepherd. Now, secondly, the type of sheep pen Jesus is describing here is one where there would have been a surrounding wall that was too high for sheep to get out and for predators to get in. And there'd only be one entrance, which sealed by a gate. Now, this sheep pen would have been shared by several families with a hired gatekeeper to guard the gate. Within the pen would be numerous sheep, and they would be made up of different flocks mixed together. So different flocks led by different shepherd, owned by different families. And this is when, why when the shepherd calls, it is not all of the sheep in the pen who follow, but it is only the sheep who know the shepherd's voice, the sheep who belong to that shepherd who will follow the shepherd out and the rest will stay. Okay, so that should catch us all up to speed. Um, unfortunately, you won't get to see the end of this thing because it's like seven minutes long. There was one that's like eight hours, but it's so boring because it's just two guys kind of going really slow because they're trying to build the Guinness Book of World Records. But you can check that out. So verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. While this image of Jesus as the good shepherd has significantly shaped our understanding of Jesus as pastoring, for the most of us who aren't familiar with sheep in general, or I would say probably almost all of us who aren't familiar with Middle Eastern shepherding specifically, we actually miss out on a lot of the nuances of Jesus' first hearers, uh, what they would have understood. Nuances of where Jesus builds off of a shepherding met metaphor, but also nuances where Jesus strays from it. And I want to briefly mention a few of these quickly um, that, you know, it may simply serve as interesting trivia for some of you, but I actually find it helps to embrace this picture more fully. And so obviously I feel it's worth taking the time to consider one fact is that unlike what I was taught to th think, maybe you were, is sheep are not stupid. In the church, I was taught that humans are like sheep, stupid, dumb animals, just following the pack, even if it leads us to falling off a cliff, and that Jesus is the good shepherd, is benevolent towards us because we are these stupid, hopeless, useless things. 
Well, the jury may still be out on some of us, but that is not actually a true picture of sheep. So if you want to find that kind of imagery, you're going to have to look someplace else than this metaphor. Sheep are actually very intelligent, complex, social animals. They have good memory. They build friendships. They express sadness when one of their own are led off to be made into Easter dinner. They don't mindlessly follow others in the way that we think. And Jesus knew this when he said they will never follow a stranger. The fact that they stick together, even if it means going in the wrong direction, is not being dumb. This is how they've learned to survive against predators. Calling them dumb or stupid for this is like calling zebras dumb for having stripes. Or urban dwelling human sapiens dumb for locking their doors at night. Secondly, they are not placid, cuddly animals like we like to think. They actually can be very destructive and very defensive. Um, a lot of greenhouse, greenhouse gases of the earth are actually created because of the destruction that sheep make on the world. I mean, that's human's fault because we're giving them, putting them out there, but... Think, and they're very defensive, like getting between a mother bear and her cub. Or getting between Opal and her grandchildren. If you get between sheep and their young, you're going to pay for it. Third, as to the shepherd metaphor, in the West, our shepherds drive sheep from behind. So many of us picture sheepdogs barking at them from behind, scaring them into going where we want them to go. This is how we shepherd in the West. However, Middle Eastern shepherds don't drive sheep from behind. They lead from the front. They use their voice to call the sheep and to lead them. This is why Jesus says in verse 3, Uh, that when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. This isn't breaking the metaphor. This is what shepherding is in his culture. It is, this is important, I think, for us to understand as Jesus is our good shepherd, what it means for us as, who have responsibility for shepherding others Jesus does not drive his people from behind. He does not use fear or aggression to force us to go where he wants us to go. Jesus instead leads from the front. There is no place he calls us to go that he himself hasn't already gone. And instead of using fear or aggression, Jesus calls to us. He leads us by his voice, a voice that we know to be safe and to be loving, and to be trustworthy. He calls... Oh, sorry, I'm reading the wrong verse here. This is why Jesus says in verse 3, when he has brought out his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him, because they know his voice. Then he says... His sheep, he calls his own sheep by name. He calls them, he calls us by name. He doesn't simply go, come on, everyone. He says, Colin, follow me. Nicole, this way, come. 
Dale, come along, follow me. You know me. You know you can trust me. Come with me. Canadian songwriter uh, Rose Cousins uh, has a song that tells, it's a sad story, tells the story of someone whose true love has other lovers. And the song has the refrain, I know I'm not just any, but I know that I'm one of many. And there's a sadness in human love to feel that, well, I'm kind of special, but I'm actually just one of many loves. But I actually find that those lines in reversed order helps me in this image of being one of a huge flock, yet still being called by name. I know I'm one of many, but I know I'm not just any. I'm not just any sheep. I'm special in God's eyes. Jesus loves me and calls me by name. You are one of many. You aren't the only one that God calls, that God loves, that God leads out. In fact, you are actually one of billions that God loves and calls by name. But while you may be one of many, you are not just any. You are beloved. You have a special place in God's fold. And God calls you by name to know this love and to follow him into abundant life. Another primary piece of the shepherd image, of course, is found in this. Not just a spoken love, but in a very practical way, the shepherd cares for the flock. The shepherd is responsible for their safety and protection against predators and thieves. Unprotected sheep being easy prey to robbers, thieves, and wolves. Now, shepherds are responsible for making sure that the sheep get clean water and food, caring for them when they're wounded, leading them through danger to flourishing fields of grass and nurturing and protecting. Shepherding is a picture of holistic care for a sheep's well-being. And this is partially why the image of a shepherd is very commonly or was very commonly used as a kingly image. The shepherd actually was a frequent title for a king or for a leader in the ancient world. We see this in the Old Testament where God is portrayed as the shepherd of the sheep, where the, God's people are called to be shepherds, and, but that God is called in to be the shepherd when the human leaders fail to care for them. But it is also seen in almost every culture in the ancient world, a, a, a title that goes well before the Israelites even showed up on the scene. Gods and rulers alike were called shepherds. They were to be benevolent providers and powerful defenders. And so Jesus builds on kingly imagery by adding the adjective good. I'm the good shepherd. And here it connotes nobility or worth. By claiming to be a noble, worthy, good, benevolent provider and powerful defender as a kingly, good shepherd, Jesus isn't simply painting him as these pictures that we, a lot of us think of, as this kind of soft, sweet, blue-eyed, gentle guy holding a cute baby lamb that many of us think of. 
There we go. These are the pictures many of us know. I was a little bit sad. The one, the one Jesus, he's actually blinking. It's a gif of him blinking, uh, but uh, it didn't come through on the, with the thing. But anyway, this, when Jesus says he's a good shepherd, he isn't building on this image. By calling himself the noble shepherd, the good shepherd, his hearers would have understood on some level that Jesus was making a very subversive statement, not only against the Jewish leaders, but all who call themselves kingly shepherds, which would have been most every god and king. Those other Pharisees, Herods, kings, emperors, who call themselves shepherds of the people. Jesus says in verse 8, he says that they are nothing more than thieves and robbers. Jesus alone is truly the good shepherd of the people. Now, I'm a firm believer in the separation of church and state, but that doesn't deny the reality that Jesus himself, his teachings, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, Jesus, in everything, he subverted. He flipped upside down human kingdoms, worldly structures of power, hedonistic culture. And part of our call in following the good shepherd isn't simply about being nurturing and benevolent, but it is about subverting the ways of the world instead of living out, and instead living out the ways of God's kingdom, the good shepherd. Following the nice, you know, uh, softly touched up Jesus carrying a perfectly clean and happy baby lamb is way easier than this subversive good shepherd. All we need to do is to look at human history to know that many human leaders, even when called shepherds of the people, did not, have care, did not care for the needs of their people, especially the most oppressed and marginalized as a priority. Like politicians trying to convince their constituents to vote for them, the shepherd of the people image in the amassing of power was more often used as propaganda than actual care. It was about how leaders were to be seen, not what they do. Too often, leaders in the church have propagated themselves up as shepherds, to be seen for what they what they are to be, not necessarily what they do, while putting their own needs and desires, well-being above those that they are shepherding. But unlike leaders who are called a shepherd of the people's propaganda, Jesus is the genuine deal. He actually loves each and every one of his people. He knows us by name. He loves us for who we are. He cares for, nurtures, protects, and folds, leads out, puts their needs above his own. And it is in reference to these different types of shepherds that Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he tells us as shepherds to shepherd in the way of Jesus. Peter writes this, to the elders among you, I appeal as, fellow, as a fellow elder and witness of Christ's sufferings, who, are also, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, 
as God wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when Christ the shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And all of these ideas that what I think Peter is alluding to is brought together in these words of Jesus. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the place where Jesus expands on the shepherd metaphor. And he takes it to new places that would not have been assumed by the original listeners. As Jesus said, if a wolf comes to attack the sheep, the hired hand who neither owns nor truly cares for the sheep will run away to save themselves. But a shepherd who owns and cares for the sheep would not quickly run away. However, while it was true that shepherds were prepared to take their personal risks for the sake of their sheep, such as fighting off wolves or thieves, it would actually have been very rare for a shepherd to have to do so. Dying for the flock may have been a slight possibility, and they knew it was a possible hazard of the job, but it was never a shepherd's intention to die. They didn't take the job with the intention of dying. And there's a significant difference between knowing there's a possibility and being willing to go through with something if it comes down to it and doing so intentionally. Jesus wasn't willing to die if and when it was necessary, but hopefully not. It was his intention to lay down his life for the sheep. Verse 18 no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. In shepherding, if a shepherd gets killed by a wolf, that leaves the whole flock unprotected and vulnerable. It's worse for the flock if the shepherd gets killed while on duty. But with Jesus, the good shepherd, instead of leaving them open to attack, it is in and through his intentional laying down of his life that Jesus draws the sheep to himself, that he protects them and nurtures them. It is his giving of his life that he protects them. And in the taking back up of his life, in his resurrection, he offers new hope of the abundance of of life that he offers. This is obviously not what happens when a shepherd gets killed by a wolf. But this is what happens when the good shepherd intentionally lays his life down to take it back up again. Jesus is truly the good shepherd, leading from ahead, not taking us anywhere he wasn't willing to go himself which includes and is centered on his intentional act of going into death that we too may be led through death to the fullness of life. Over the past hundred years, this image of Jesus as the good shepherd has shaped much of our understanding and our theology around what it means to be a pastor, to be a leader, what pastors feel they're called to be, what people expect them to be, what leaders and even what those of us who have sheep 
that we care for, parents, um, friends, uh, you know, the list goes on. Unfortunately, this good shepherd metaphor, in being made the predominant metaphor for leadership, it's caused some intentional negative consequences. First, in the metaphor of the shepherd and the sheep, the shepherd and sheep are completely different species from one another. Jesus wasn't intending this to be the meaning for all of who he was. Otherwise, this would be the only image he gives us. Well, now, while there's a sense of this difference between the sheep and the shepherd is somewhat true with Jesus. I mean, he was fully God as well as fully human. It is extremely unhealthy to see pastors, clergy, parents, friends who care for us as being in a different plane than everyone else. This dominant metaphor, while it's supposed to drive pastors and elders and leaders to care for the people in their flock, in their churches, it's too often been used to exalt leaders in ways that are unhealthy for everyone. Whether it's leaders seeing themselves too highly or people in their communities as having too many expectations of their leaders, or in the case of non-church leadership, if it's a parent, child, friend, professional, Caregivers trying to fill their own needs, their own insecurities. This pressure, this image can be a very negative when caregivers see themselves as above or other than those for whom they care. We all have different giftings and different callings to help build up one another. But none of us, none of us are different from one another. We are all sheep, beloved by our good shepherd, called to follow him wherever he leads. And while we are called to love and nurture one another, while we are called to lead one another towards places of fullness of life, making sacrifices for one of us, one another, none of us are the good shepherd. Jesus alone is the good shepherd. Many of us burn ourselves out trying to be a savior to people. Many of us come from good intentions, but it is often simply masked, unhealthy savior complexes, or simply the lack of healthy boundaries. If we burn ourselves out by thinking we are the ones who need to save, to care for, to lift everyone up, by living under unhealthy and unrealistic expectations placed on us by others and by ourselves, we are not actually caring for the flock and for those in our care, but from exhaustion and the unavoidable feelings of unworthiness, we lose out on the fullness of life that God wants to lead us as well to. And that fullness of life is most truly found when we realize that our identities, our worth, is not as shepherd, but it is as beloved sheep, called by name, for whom the good shepherd gave his life. That while there are many whom God loves, you are not just any. You are deeply loved and cared for, and you do not need to earn that. Nothing you can do, no amount of care or self-sacrifice or burning yourself out for others will earn you that love. It is a free gift. Yes, 
We are called to watch over others, eager to serve and love and nurture. But we are not called to be the good shepherd. Jesus alone is the good shepherd by whose death and resurrection leads through death to life. Jesus alone is the good shepherd who knows us all in the intimate depths of our being, who calls us by name into the fullness of life in his kingdom. Let's pray. God, we thank you um, that, as, that Jesus, as our good shepherd, you call us by name. You invite us into the very being of yourself. You call us into the relationship you have with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. That you go before us and there's no place that you won't go and haven't gone. You have gone into death itself so that we could be led through death and into life. God, we want to be people who have an impact in the world. We want to be people who love others, who care for others. But help us to do that knowing that you alone are the good shepherd. That you are with us and in us in our shepherding. That it is your spirit leading us in Christ-likeness. But even that is not where we find our identity. Help us to receive this gift that our identity is not in how we shepherd, but it is in the love that you, our good shepherd, have for us. We are humbled, we are awed, and we are desperate. So we offer you ourselves and ask, Lord, that we that you would help us to know the voice of our good shepherd to follow you into a fullness of life. Amen.